welcome back to the square. Uh, we're getting the dog days of summer here, and uh, we've got one of the big dogs of the city of Buffalo <laughs> back for the third time. New York State Assemblyman John Rivera. John, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're going to talk about you know a couple of things related to uh, you know obviously state regard issues, but we'll do some local stuff too. Sure. Um, you know, but how's your summer treating you so far, John? Summer's been good. A lot of time uh, with the family, which is nice. Taking some like day trips here and there, seeing the area, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of trips to the library and the Children's Museum and all that. So yeah. it's been fun. Yeah. What uh, What's been your favorite day trip so far? Where'd you go? It's funny because I grew up my whole life like thinking Darien Lake was the coolest place in the world when I was a kid. Like going there was such a big deal in my family. I took my my little one there for the first time, and I'd realized how like small it was and mm-hmm. kind of how you know. I won't say run down, but you know, it's it's it doesn't match my my memories. So right? Yeah. Those things when you're an adult, you think back, you're like, oh wow, it's really different. Yeah, I mean, like, it's because one of those like like a kid, like everything seems enormous, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. you know, the tallest person you know is your kindergarten teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But she loved it, so it was, yeah, yeah we that's had a good. good time. Yeah, yeah. You got to get people. Uh, Cedar Point. That's the truth. You got to get. I still have never been. You got to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I'm Disney. I went to Disney for the first time. Uh, a couple years ago, last year, whatever it was, it was fine. And and obviously, Darien Lake is, you know, yeah, it's good for little kids. Sure, sure, sure. And the rides are okay. And it's close. And yeah, it's close. Yeah. It's close. But you gotta like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, you know, Disney. The problem with Disney is there's like five rides, but you have to wait seven hours mm-hmm. so long like, to get yeah, on the five yeah, rides. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, but I'm glad the the little one had yeah, a good time at yeah. uh, Darien Lake. How about you guys? How was your summer so far? It's been good. Yeah. You know, good. Uh, you know. I got to do as as I like to do. Uh, get up to visit my sister and brother in law up in Portland, Maine, uh, and eat as much seafood as possible. Just, just uh, a lobster glutton. There you go. How about you, dude? I so I went to I went to Lake Placid a couple weeks ago. Nice, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous up there. Yeah. God's country. Yeah, and I you know I'm thinking about it. Like summer's not over. Like there's a, this this fall creep. I like to think <laughs> yeah. of. It. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we talk about. The, the Christmas creep, mm-hmm. the fall creep is more insidious to me because they're sell. You know they're selling pumpkin spice lattes starting <laughs> this week. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, once I was, they sell like Halloween candy in stores, I was like, yeah, wow, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. You go to the stores; they have the display of pumpkin beer now. Yeah. And we were talking about this uh, Friday, like that. Also, like, like if you go to different places, like they started to put out like their fall like accessories, like these cinnamon scented like brooms and <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like yeah it's it's yeah we're we're definitely getting ready to fall. like pretty soon like you're gonna see like the uh, the dried out corn cobs on for sale <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> we could talk about our fall plans <laughs> I suppose but let's let's talk about uh, the 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 big big story of the day John and uh, this is something that you know it's it's smaller and bigger than the state level if that makes sense right um, certainly what has happened in Cheektowaga with the asylum seekers um, is something that has become, uh, it's metastasized. It's a huge story here in Western New York. Um, you know, if, if you're not familiar, we've had two uh, instances of, you know, d- depending on the reports, I mean, one, there was a sexual assault. Um, well, the, the, the there, was, imprisonment. there was like two arrests. Two arrests uh, is what was purported. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly become like, I mean, Geez, there are certain people who I will, dare I say, not in good faith, um, who are who keep pushing and needling, and um, so much so that uh, yesterday, as we're recording on Monday the twenty uh, first, here is that the date? I lose I lose track mm-hmm. of yeah. the time. Uh, but yesterday, uh, Buffalo State um, 
uh, kicked out uh, or, or give it, it was a week's turnaround, right, to have asylum seekers that they had in their dorm room um, on campus there were no longer welcome on campus, in large part spurred on by you know, a lot of xenophobic fears that have been been stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, John, you know, I know this is, again, this is kind of a loaded issue. It's a big issue, but love to talk to you about, you know, what, what are you thinking and, and what, what could we see at the state or just you as a citizen here in, in Western New York? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the, the tough thing about this conversation is that it often gets reduced into such small ideas by, by folks that don't do the homework and mm-hmm. don't understand really what's going on and truthfully are not looking to humanize any of these stories. Right. You know, um, I guess if we take a step back, you know, Buffalo has been receiving people from all over the world since before Buffalo was Buffalo. So it's mm-hmm. nothing new. And then if you want to get specific, like we've been receiving uh, and welcoming folks uh, that have gone through refugee resettlement and folks that have gone through that are in some sort of asylum seeking process. Mm-hmm. It's nothing new. It's been happening for many, many, many years, longer than all of us have been alive. And, you know, part of it is we're right on the border with Canada. So often sometimes people come here before they go to Canada. And sometimes it's 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 like a lot of other parts in the country where people arrive here because they hear it's a safe place to be, where it can be a place of opportunity. Um, and that's how it should be. Right. You know, regions in upstate New York have dwindling population. Uh, you know, you go to certain cities cities and towns in upstate New York and you'll see that there's empty storefronts and you know vacant houses uh, schools with no children in them mm-hmm. schools needing to be closed and all of that is a reflection of population dwindling um, it's simply because you know the, the the lure of people staying here maybe because of the weather maybe you know, for whatever reason is is gone and some of these you know some of these areas you know they skew older so mm-hmm. you know, younger people aren't necessarily staying in certain areas but in Buffalo, that hasn't been the case this last, the most recent census, based you know, primarily because we've done all the work in welcoming resettled refugees here. Mm-hmm. People tend to mix up, okay, what's the difference between someone that's undocumented versus someone that crosses the border versus someone that's seeking asylum versus someone, someone that's a refugee? And truthfully, all these people go through all the different processes. A refugee gets resettled in a really unique way. So mm-hmm. the way the refugees get resettled here. Uh, it you know well not just here but everywhere it's it, it's a pretty uh, firm strict process. The State Department determines that folks that come from this country that have gone through X situation can be pre-cleared in that country or some third country where often they're in some you know camps or right. you know unstable spaces and they're fleeing from real legitimate problems of genocide or horror or all kinds of issues. Uh, you know Buffalo has become a huge uh, destination for 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 folks from Burma. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, 30 years ago, that would have never been a thing. And most people, Buffalonians probably couldn't point to Burma on a map. But mm-hmm. like now we have this huge population here. And it's because the, the these, you know, th- they've been determined by the State Department to, to fall into this category mm-hmm. where they can be resettled refugees. The good thing about that process is that once they come here, they almost immediately can are, are provided work authorization, mm-hmm. a TIN number, so they can get to work and because we have uh, refugee resettlement agencies that are funded by both the state government and the federal government, they are able to assist these folks with locating, you know, showing them, you know, where to register for health insurance and how to get your kids into a public school and, you know, where the nearest hospital is and, you know, right. all and that. Where to get basics. your medication filled. Yeah, and, and, and these agencies do that 
they as much as they pick up people right at the airport, right? Take them to a place, you know, they go through the whole thing. So that's a great process. We've shown that it works. Never have we really seen any issues of violence or or anything like that here with this population of people. Uh, what what Jericho Road and Vive and what's what's happening above state is that they sent you know vive slash the buff state situation is is a is asylum seekers as opposed to refugees asylum seekers are folks that are coming here they're crossing the border they're essentially making the argument that they need to uh you know they're seeking asylum from right. whatever it is that's going on in their country or their personal situation that where people are being persecuted and so forth so the folks that were at buff state what's interesting is you know they, they had come to an agreement the folks at jericho road and buff state to say you know we have a housing problem here, like we do across the state and probably across the country, where you know affordable housing is like little by little leaving us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they are having difficulty placing people. The Vive has this shelter, but it can only fit so many people. Changes in the Canadian government's process of border security made it so that people that were going to Canada weren't able to go to Canada. That was just a change that happened a couple months ago. That sort of simultaneously is happening with all this, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, it was determined that th- that 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 housing could be used separate from the Vive shelter that would assist people right before they were ready to go out on their own. So they were able to determine that this group of folks, because they're so far along in the process of either obtaining work authorization or they had already gotten it, and were just short of employment, which would have led to their own you know, mm-hmm. being able to find their own place. And at the end of the day, that's the biggest sort of frustrating thing is that the narrative is, well, people come here, they don't want to work. It is literally the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like, it couldn't be more the opposite. Nobody comes, flees everything they're going through, crosses miles and miles and miles of unknown place to come here and do nothing. Like, right. that's not what's happening here. It's people that genuinely want to have a safe space for their children to grow up and to thrive in their own way and with their own space and in their own apartment. They no longer... They, as much as people have a narrative of like, oh, why are we putting them in college dorms or why are we putting them in hotels? They don't want that either. They right. want they would reasonably so as any other adult. They want their own space and their own privacy and their own everything. So, um, you know, so th- the arrangement was going to be that these folks were being placed at Buff State, and and these were, folks were already sort of pre-established that they were on their way to self-sufficiency, and you know, the tough thing about the Buffalo State situation is that while some folks at Buff State were negotiating an extension to keep people there all the way until February, and a, they were already granted an extension that went from middle of August, which is when the original arrangement was supposed to end, to the end of August. Uh, they received a letter last Monday saying that they had to be gone by this Monday. Mm-hmm. So it's strange that you know you're dealing with X person at the college, and they tell you, well. <laughs> we're going to negotiate this and and maybe we can make this last another six months. And then you suddenly get a letter saying you got to be out in a week. Right. Uh, It's clearly a response to what happened in Chictawaga. Uh, I think it's brutal. I think it's, you know, I, you know, my thought is even in the toughest house in the toughest neighborhood with the toughest landlord would most likely give you more than a week's notice. if They're going to evict you. Uh, So to evict these families some of them with small children, with the school year starting, and and knowing that they're probably not going to have another place to land. Luckily, you know, according to to Jericho Road today, when I when I spoke to the folks there, they found places for them. But it's disruptive, you know, yeah. to move families three times is just unnecessary. It's inconvenient. 
And, you know, and, and I asked the college, like, have you had any reports at any point? Because if they've been there since May, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. You know, have any reports around any issues of violence or issues around people needing the police to get involved in anything? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. There was no, there was nothing. It's, you know, totally something that happened a town away mm-hmm. uh, to just, you know, use that as a, as a, as a justification to sort of, uh, you know, get rid of these folks while simultaneously, you know, trying to carry the flag of we're a diverse educational institute right. and we believe in their urban center and we're proud to be in the middle of us of, of us of a city and we're the only SUNY campus that has this. And, right. I have seen their yeah. advertising materials that they, they yeah. send downstate. Uh, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like come to Buffalo. You right, live I mean, in you live in Queens, come to Buffalo. Right, yeah. They're not they, they, yes, they don't send they, that shit to Elma. Like no, I, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> Which is good. I mean look I you know as 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 a as a as a Latino person, as a person that was also a Bus State alum, mm. you know, it it, it I want to see Bus State thrive. I yeah. wanted to see it do well, and it's you know an anchor in that neighborhood, and we need it to do well. Um, but it's so disingenuous to sort of say, well, you know, you know, the the president issued a statement today, and it was super vanilla, and it was you know, well, you know, if you know, it, we enacted the provision in our agreement that says that we could have you know remove them. Well, that's maybe true but it doesn't make you a human like right. <laughs> i mean it's you're you're still a bad landlord if you do that no matter if you're a college or whether you're a guy that owns a, a double like it doesn't matter right i mean a and like you know when you're talking about a, a, an organization like you know a college mm-hmm. you know right in the right in the heart of the city there you know that makes you like a terrible pillar of the community you know at least temporarily oh, sure. i mean maybe not you know, i'm not saying forever like i'm not saying like yeah, like yeah. you know let's you know, like you know let's go burn buff state to the ground like you know mm-hmm. the campus house is nice i've had a couple of drinks there before uh but like you know it, it makes you like at least temporarily like you know especially for like buff state you know really over the last like 20 15 20 years has tried to ingratiate themselves more in their community where sure. they are yeah. uh and and not on the elmwood side on the grant street side right yeah. Yeah. you know and so like they've they've tried to become a better partner i guess i think in the, in the community as opposed to where they just kind of ignored the neighborhood for a while right and and this is a step back towards that type of isolationism yeah we, yeah. yeah well i was just like we we hear you know things called reactionary a lot right like we hear things in society, like conservative ideals or whatever, reactionary. But this is a true reactionary move. Mm-hmm. This is something that is not grounded in, mm-hmm. you know, any other concern other than optics, right? Mm-hmm. Like Buff State, the the, the brain trust mm-hmm. at Buffalo State University uh, are concerned that, oh, what if the, you know, the focus of the zeitgeist turns on us and all right. of a sudden, you know, the xenophobia hits us and that maybe impacts our fundraising or bottom line. Right. And it's it just... It's terrible. Like, it, the, come on. Also, the irony of it is like, so, you know, I operated under the assumption that, you know, certain parents or students had voiced some concern about, you know, asylum seekers being in the same place. I mean, one, they were in their own building separate mm-hmm. from the rest of the campus community. Um, you know, and also they had been there already for months without any disruption. So right. why would they suddenly change that now? I mean, truthfully people that come here and have to go through everything they go through to then do something that they would then get in trouble for. It's, it's, it's kind of a rarity. Right. right? So, um, but you know, the the irony about it is, is, you know, putting yourself in the position of the administration, like, okay, it's a week before school's going to start. If, if students or, or parents of students were concerned, you know, 
and you had this arrangement till the end of the month, you could have just let them stay to the end of the month. Right. You know, it's to kick them out so early is brutal. But also, even if people were saying, well, well I'm not going to go to Buff State, you know, it's it's a week before school starts. So what <laughs> other choice? Really right. You yeah. Have? You couldn't suddenly just go to another school a week before it starts. You would have had to apply for it and register. I mean, it just didn't make sense on like a multitude. Right. Of, I mean, you're not going reasons. to Damon anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, we're not going to go anywhere. Right, right? yeah, but yeah, it's, you're it's not, the eleventh hour. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, like, and especially like, you know, disingenuous, and like, and not paying attention to like what the actual facts are. Like, you had, yeah. you know, even in Chicktawaga, their chief of police, Brian Gold, out there saying, like, look, you know, yeah, we've had two incidents, but like, it really hasn't been an issue. And you, you know, you had like a federal request done, like the same week that you had those two arrests in Chicktawaga of the asylum seekers. There was 118 other arrests in Chicktawaga that weren't asylum seekers, right? Sure. You know, like, but like nobody wants to hear it. Like, they're, you know, nobody wants to hear that. They don't want to do the whether they, right. they want to listen or they don't want to research. They have a preconceived idea that they want to they want to reinforce. Yeah, um, and you know, so it's, yeah, it's causing problems on Chicktawaga. But to see it trickle into you know a city institution like this is, is and, and in my experience, the people that kind of villainize uh, these folks, you, you, they've clearly never met one. Yeah, because like. I've spent the time and met asylum seekers, met folks that have just come here to this country, and I just listen to them. And if you just listen to them for all of a minute, you realize, okay, these are not just people that have done something that you do or don't like. It's They're a human being mm -hmm. with children that just want to figure something out. They left Travis. I mean, it's, most of the families at Buff State were, were from Africa. Mm -hmm. What it takes to go from Africa to somewhere in South America mm. than to traverse everything you'd have to get to to get to the southern border. I right. mean, how many countries have you gone through right. I mean, just to eventually hit the southern border to then make your way to Buffalo? Right. It's, I mean, it, it's not like playing Risk where you can just take the... It's not the you, can take, you can take the jump from you know <laughs> West Africa to Brazil. Right. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, you don't do that unless you're ready... To, to to establish roots somewhere, right? You know, you, you're uh, by all that you want to just be somewhere, right? And and you know, people tend not to think of it this way, but think of how much money we give away. You know, for example, uh, I'll use this, and obviously this is close to heart because I've already made public statements about this. You know, the, the Hamburg IDA giving a, this huge tax break to Amazon. Mm -hmm. yeah. If we added up every one-off little tax break that every town has given or 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 municipality that really hasn't generated real good paying jobs we've given away millions mm -hmm. investing into resettlement programs is so cheap in comparison and has such a better economic turnaround right that the payoff is the payoff is, is so tremendously better if you that. just think about the economics of it i mean if you if you don't have the kind of heart that i do where like you actually care and sympathize with people that are struggling and just want to do something with their life yeah get that like, bleeding heart nonsense yeah, yeah, out yeah, here. let's yeah, talk about me. cold heart <laughs> like think about it like you know my office is on grand street grand street doesn't look the best it's ever looked but there's less vacant stores because we have people that are brand new to this country that are coming in that are super entrepreneurial and they open up their shops, they open up their restaurants, they buy homes that had been vacant for many years. Mm -hmm. Like folks are stabilizing neighborhoods right. that nobody else wanted to invest in. I mean, there's parts, there's pockets all over the city in this region where, you know, there were some forgotten neighborhoods that people just didn't want to mm -hmm. acknowledge anymore. But what happened, folks are coming in from other parts of the world. They're settling here. They're finding it to be affordable. Mm -hmm. They're finding it to be, you know, they're agreeing with the climate, although it's, uh, you know, it has good days and bad days. Right. And and they're doing something. And if you think about, like, 
all the service sector jobs that we have that are constantly go unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And you think about the empty houses, the empty storefronts, and you think it's it's it, it's such a worthwhile investment to do anything we can to bring people here. And if all it takes is just spending some initial money to settle people in a space and they can just run with it, that just you know, you're you are investing into your community for another generation. Mm-hmm. And it's way cheaper than giving Amazon another million dollars. Right. Which which in turn is gonna give us like terrible wage jobs in probably poor working conditions, mm-hmm. as yeah. they've done historically in other places. Like, you know, p- people that, that wanna do the whole, you know, well, people should come to this country this way or that way. They really haven't done their homework right. because we don't make it easy in this country. No, we, we by make it, any means. We make it insanely hard, insanely to, hard to, to do it. And also, you know, like especially like, and, it, and we need them, right? Like, oh yeah, the thing. We, it, we need people. Like, we need people, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, that's one of the actually at a, at a national level, one of the like economic imperative disadvantages, like to get super macro that like the United States has, is that like. We don't have nearly the population of China, of India, of Nigeria, of like of the fastest growing countries where the, the economy is growing much faster than the United States. Because even though, you know, we have a lot of people in the United States, we got 320 million people in the United States. We could use a lot more. I mean, unemployment's crazy low, including in this region. And like you said, John, like those service jobs are going unfilled um, among other jobs. And like, but that's the type of thing that like has, you know, huge multiplicative mm-hmm impact on the economy because you know those are people like you're putting money into their hands you know as opposed to giving the money to amazon Mm -hmm. you're putting money into the hands of individual people who are going to go spend it in the community and you're going to get that multiplicative effect that you get from actually you know dollars exchanging hands and starting to build business and it and then you have that you have the stabilization of neighborhoods sure you, you know that you know instead of like you know it wasn't that long ago that the city was talking about we just have to bulldoze and destroy thousands of, of properties and now you're like well maybe we maybe we shouldn't destroy anything or like maybe we should hold off a little bit like if it's, if it's absolutely uninhabitable sure but if it's inhabitable you know we can get people to fill these homes now you know and then yeah. and that's and we can stabilize these neighborhoods yeah and you talk about like you know what's the issue with small governments is because they have dwindling tax bases mm-hmm. well we have dwindling tax bases because we won give away too many tax incentives, mm-hmm. but two, because we have so many vacancies. Right. So, right. you know, by by investing into people coming here, then it's then, then then you're only making it easier for yourself down the road to have better services and have better school system and have better things. Right. I mean, because that's one of the problems with like say like you know like you with the city of Buffalo in particular at the municipal level with say the DPW, right? You know, the population of Buffalo, while the last census it went up, you know, for decades it was going down well when less people were here that didn't mean like the streets disappeared (laughs) the sidewalks didn't go away right right still had to be flowed (laughs) right yeah yeah so people tend not to think about it but you know when you have a dwindling tax base one of the first things that's going to go is the services you provide for people because you're just not going to be able to afford them that's when libraries close that's when streets don't get plowed that's when parks start looking terrible that's when youth rec centers start looking kind of abandoned Mm -hmm. well you know, it, it's all expensive to maintain, certainly. Mm-hmm. But you know what? What we've seen in even if you just look at an Erie County, people are willing to pay higher property taxes for the things that they want. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't move. I don't want to take a shot at any particular suburban town, but people don't move to certain suburban towns because 
the f- restaurants are better because that's certainly not the case. You, you, you they, they whisper to me which town you want to take a shot at. <laughs> <and I'll do laughs> no, no. Like you know, they, they don't. They don't. Skip move. Gingrich, if you're listening, <laughs> they're not moving to some of these suburban towns because it's cheaper or because the houses are even necessarily nicer. Right. Like there's parts of of you know you can't compare a Richmond Avenue beautiful historic home to a cookie cutter development house that you could get in the burbs. Right. 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 And, and in the city of Buffalo, you have all of our theaters and our museums and our, and our parks, frankly, are nicer. And, you know, people are willing to pay higher in taxes because they perceive the services to be better there. Mm -hmm. Not because of any other reason other than, you know, the, the, the sense that they get that Buffalo doesn't offer that to them. Um, well, and, and not for nothing. I mean, and, and you're 100% spot on with that, John, right? Like, again, like what we have here in the city, we, we have so much to offer. And I, the thing that this whole thing that just kind of sticks in my craw, I guess, is like how many for how long have we heard that, you know, Buffalo is, um, well, we, we, we bandy about like you mentioned the Burmese immigrants earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. And that we are an immigrant community that we're welcome to immigrants, and we, we hold that as a you know a little merit badge on our chest, right? That we are the city of good neighbors, and you know sure. the, the all the feels. And alternatively, we talk about Buffalo is going to be you know a haven in the climate crisis. That sure. we're going to be um, a destination for you know people looking to uh, maybe flee, just like this. And yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> we're seeing the reality of some of that, and uh, it it's kind of wild to see this. Um, Kind of xenophobia really sure. sort of rear its head. I mean, look, something in my lifetime that I you know really haven't seen e- even. And listen, I'm a you know I, I may sound like I'm from South Buffalo, and I am from South Buffalo, <laughs> but I don't necessarily look like I'm from South Buffalo or have a name that looks like it's one from South Buffalo. And very I, South Buffalo, very <laughs> South Buffalo. I made it South Buffalo, <laughs> but you know it's something where um, even like circa 9/11, I know things were. I'm pretty bad in this country, and you know, you heard some things, and obviously, you have a, a reactionary. <laughs> there's a lot of reactionary people in the Western New York region, uh, throwing that word back again. But I don't think th- this kind of vitriol we're seeing over the uh, you know asylum seekers and over just immigrants in general um, here is just curious because it doesn't like it sort of follows the national mood, kind of. But we don't we haven't really been hearing lately. Like it's not like there's you know. Like yeah, Donald Trump is running for president again, but it's not—it's not really being driven by the national conversation so much as like it's the local conversation, which is really unique to my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd say so. Everything we've been talking about has been essentially asylum seekers that have come the the way that they have always come in, in this region. You know, this new uptick of what we're seeing, which is folks that are being essentially or moved from Texas or the southern border up right. to New York City, and then New York City is determining how they're, you know, uh, sending people into other places. What I would say about that whole process is, I, I think, I think in the nature of Western New Yorkers, we kind of have this thing of like, you know, New York City is its own thing, and New York City is is a whole other world from what we are, and da 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 da. And it's a very, I mean, like, I, don't get me wrong, New York's a very different place from Buffalo in a million ways. Um, but, you know, I, I think it feeds in our own sort of, like, psyche of, like, I won't say we have a chip on our shoulder, but I'll say that we know our place vis-a-vis the way that the state is. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that you have a mayor who 
I, I mean, I'll say this, but it's a total assumption. Who knows if you've ever, if he's ever been to Buffalo, but mm-hmm. you know, who might not know Buffalo very well, is you know, sort of uh, dispersing these folks in all these different ways. Uh, it's not sitting well with people here locally because of the way it's all being done. And truthfully, from what I can tell, and and what's happened in Chicago is sort of evidence of that. But it's not only in Chicago. It's mm-hmm. You know, there's been issues in Albany and Rockland right. County and other parts too. You know, th- there's there's serious there there's a clear breakdown of what Eric Adams is is should be doing and what it's actually doing, mm-hmm. uh, and that's manifesting in all kinds of ways. And uh, you know, I'm hopeful that there could be a process that looks very different. Uh, in an ideal world, it, it wouldn't be a matter of the city of New York pays for a bunch of hotel rooms in Chictawaga because that doesn't, in reality, that's, there's no sustainability to that. Mm-hmm. It's very much so like, oh, this is a Band-Aid and we'll kind of walk away from it. In reality, we don't, I wouldn't want Eric Adams paying Chictawaga hotels. What I would want is money to go directly to resettlement agencies that have already been doing this mm-hmm. for years and years and years mm-hmm. that know how to do it, that have figured it out, but just need to grow in their capacity in order to handle more things. So, I mean, I, I think people are bothered by like the perception of what's happened, but then there is some legitimate concern around like the process not being done and well thought out. My own sort of w- observations of what New York City's doing, you know, New York City entered into this contract, a no-bid contract with an agency that had no experience on anything having to do really with asylum seekers or immigrants or mm-hmm. really anything. So it's like... You know, why the city of New York chose this organization, I don't know. That's for an investigation in a year. I don't know. But, you know, but but now it's being charged with all these services that go past just transportation of people. It's, you know, translation service and it's security and it's all these other things. And it's being done quickly and not thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. I don't put that on, on us here. I just think we're at sort of the end of that train ride. I just think Eric Adams and, and that administration just needs to tighten up way more than what they're doing yeah i mean i think there's probably a little bit here locally um as opposed to some of the other issues like other times where you've had you know uh refugees resettle here or even asylum seekers because of the way they're being they're being bust in yeah. it's not to i think to some of the especially like suburbanites who are more afraid of everything um you know the you know the people who think black pepper is spicy uh <laughs> are, are like, is that like this is just another city passing their problems off on us why can't they take care of their problems? But like you know, like you mentioned, John, like we're like you know, like you know, a lot of these individuals in New York are coming, like they're being sent up from like you know Texas and Florida, and and that's being done mostly by the federal government now. But you know, it wasn't that long ago at the federal like the federal na- like narrative, you had like DeSantis and Abbott doing performative stuff where they're sending people up, and if they could just ship them out of the country, they would have. But they know because they're asylum seekers, that's illegal. They would be the ones right, right. doing breaking the law, but yeah. that, that they're not going to say, "Well, legal or they're, they're not going to try to explain it to like their followers. Yeah, they're going to be like, "Well, I know what I can do is send them to Martha's Vineyard." Yeah, to be a smartass. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if there's anything that the federal government could do, and the only and, and this truly, if this one thing could happen, it would it would absolutely change the whole landscape. Is if the federal government could expedite work authorization, mm-hmm. you know, granting work authorizations because. The process by which someone becomes a citizen, that's going to be long, and that's always just going to be long. The right. process of seeking asylum and, and it being approved, that's a lengthy process. And I don't expect the world 
to change that quickly tomorrow. But what I will say is, with what I feel to be decent ease, the federal government could choose to grant work authorization much easier than it does. What happens is a person comes here and as, as it takes too long to be able to start working. So that first year to 18 months, sometimes it could be done a little sooner, let's say nine months when you're in an ideal world. If it takes you nine months to get even just the paperwork to work, all the while you know, you're, you're taking ESL classes or you are figuring out where you're living and figuring out your food situation, like all those are challenges in themselves. But it's only magnified by the inability and the, the government telling you that you can't work. And if they try to work while they're seeking asylum without work authorization, they could lose their asylum because we punish them if they don't do mm -hmm. that, right? So, you know, uh, we have employers that are constantly looking for, for for workers. We have people really eager to work. But we, the, the well, the federal government is telling them, no, 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 no. You have to jump through this hoop and that hoop and this hoop when, when it's just such an easy – you see empty jobs. You see people wanting to work. You know, the argument of people taking work from other people is not an argument. Yeah. No. Unemployment's at its lowest. Took jobs. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, there are works in in agriculture that not a lot of people want to do. There are working, there's jobs in the service industry that not a lot of people want to do. Hotels need people. Mm -hmm. Restaurants need people. Stores need people. But, you know, we are preventing these, one, from those businesses from thriving, and two, these people from employment. I just want to make a quick point, because, John, you mentioned, like, you know, you know, while they're wait taking ESL classes, because this was actually something that, you know, one of the uh, shitheads in Cheek to Blog, I think it was actually the supervisor candidate, the mm -hmm. Republican side, mm -hmm. was that, like, well, he would be okay, but, like, these problem people aren't even trying to assimilate. Now, first of all, I got I got a... My first problem with that is I was at the Dingus Day celebrations on the East Side this last year, <laughs> and like I wanted to go up on stage and like and say, "Oh, like, listen, fucker, we speak English in this country. How about that? How do you guys feel about that now? All you guys, everybody speaking Polish like sixty years after your family got here." But I was like, "We should know Jim is Polish, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying." But but, uh, but also like you know, like if you if you actually talk, like you said like if you actually talk to any of these these asylum seekers or the refugees that have been coming to Buffalo, they are assimilating so fast. Oh, yeah, gotcha. it's, it's yes. way, it. yeah. way oh, yeah. faster than oh, yeah. like, you know, like the Eastern European uh, you know, of centuries ago, partly because we provide them more support. Mm -hmm. And technology is advanced. But technology is yeah, advanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like uh, Brian Nowak, who's the Democrat running for supervisor in Chief Wagon, is like, look, he goes, there's something he's like, you know, just like my kid, like, like their, their kids are on their phones all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, we could talk about this all day, but, you know, I, I, I just think. You know, maybe this goes into the next thing. If people are going to use this subject uh, brutally to sort of justify their positions. Mm -hmm. You know, we see it in our Republican kind of executive candidate. We'll see it in you know Brian's up opponent. Right. You know, what, what's what's offensive is you know the use of of of, of these stories to sort of justify that they're right on something, but they don't care about these people. Right. Like, like if somebody says, well, you know, look what happened in Chictawaga. I, the, the majority of people that I, that I, you know, I read their tweets or I see their statements about like, you know, this is a, the, you know, that the, they're uber concerned about all these things. They don't care about the victims. Right. They're, they, they're, they, they don't care about, uh, you know, somebody that experienced some tragedy. No, they just want to hit you over the head because, you know, th they want to justify their position. No, nobody who is, you know, going nuts like the Republican county executive, I can't, they're not going to donate any money or volunteer any of their time 
to help like victims of sexual assault or uh, sex abuse. Like that's never going to happen. Like they like I mean okay, it just like I, I, I'll guess it probably won't. Like, just like like your consideration about whether or not the mayor of New York's ever been to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know for certain. Yeah, but I I feel pretty. Co- I have a pretty good inclination. Yeah, I mean. And if they do, if, if like if 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 Christy Casilio did give money, she would do it like it would be performed like she would do it as a press release. I mean, it, I think the reason that people don't vote as much as they used to, and the reason that people aren't engaged as much as they used to be, is even though we now elect all kinds of diverse people and all, we're trying to engage in so many mediums and and technology is advancing in such a way that we can connect with people so much easier. Still, people aren't voting the way they used to. It's it's because there's people are smart enough to see through nonsense mm-hmm. uh, and they can see when a candidate is just using ploys and gimmicks and nonsense. And it's, it's the, it's the candidates that use tragedy to their benefit mm-hmm. that are often the substanceless candidate candidates, the mm-hmm. candidates that, that can't put together what their platform is really going to be. Because it's way easier to stand in front of a, a hotel in Chicago or, you know, some other place where some tragic ins- situation has occurred and like hoot and holler about how things need to change and this is da 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 and he's this and she's like, you know, they don't care. They don't actually care. And the, honestly, they don't do the work either. I mean, what we have s- subjected voters to in the last few years is, you know, a, a string of. I'll say it, Republican candidates that have based their lives on sound bites right. and on, you know, taking a position that they know will be in a headline or a position that will stir people up. But at the end of the day, you know, elections aren't won on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I give credit to voters that, you know, people are starting to see right through it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the consequence of it isn't that they're voting for or against people they're just not voting at all right well, which is which is sad and i mean like let's call it like it is like chrissy kaboom doug jackoff whatever his name is and chiktawaga these are terrible candidates like just even on a base level like they're grasping at the lowest hanging fruit they can find because one they're not well funded uh the republican party is you know, I, I know the joke for many years in the national level, at least, was the Dems are disarray, in disarray, but the Republicans are are not looking good. Um, even, you know, the, the the prize of county executive nar- no, knocking off Chairman Mark off his high perch, <laughs> uh, they're nowhere near that. They have nothing. Um, I mean, listen, Crocker, you know, I, I thought he was kind of a smarter guy, and he, maybe he is, but uh, the cupboard's bare. Like, this is not going to be... This is not going to bode well for them. So it doesn't surprise me that they're going to grasp this one thing. Um, but it just kind of underscores, like, what else do you hear Chrissy Casilio talking well, about? I mean, what else do you hear and, Doug and, Jasinski and, talking and, about? And I've always been a believer, and granted, I, I can't claim to be totally objective in this. But, you know, I've now, you know, I've worked for a U.S. congressman. I've worked for a county executive. I'm a member of the state legislature. I've gotten to meet a lot of state legislators. I've gotten to meet mayors and supervisors so i i get to see government in a lot of different ways over the last you know 10 15 years and i genuinely believe that the office of county executive is the hardest job i think it's the hardest job because it it has to manage so many things simultaneously Mm -hmm. that those that are not ready for 
hard decisions, tough decisions, uh, that are not humble enough to be students and 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 be constantly needing to be informed on things. Mm-hmm. People that don't have the the, you know, it, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, no. the county it handles everything from, you know, a a, a, a park system that's huge, which is uh, its own challenges. Funding arts and cultural institutions, an entire sewer system, you know, child protective services cases, mm-hmm. the opioid epidemic, economic development, because that's really more on the county level than it is on individual municipalities, the health department. I mean, counties are entrusted in this state with with interacting with people more so possibly than any other form of government. Because then you're, we haven't even talked about social services right. and SNAP benefits and, right. Right. you know, employment or, but, but also, like, you know, plowing roads and yeah. and sheriff's patrols. Yeah, yeah. Jail systems. Right. It's, you know, it, it's, it really is like managing a state. But it's way more on the ground level because there's constantly people going to the Rath building and mm-hmm. interacting with county government. Everything from the medical examiner to, you know... And, ECC, ECMC. I mean, all these things are sort of connected uh, to county government. So it, to think that, a, you know, if, if you just look at it objectively, we had Dennis Gorski, who, you know, at least left the county in a good financial position. Yeah. We had Joel Giambra, who lost it all. <laughs> then we had, you know, Chris Collins, who, you know, talked the talk of, I'm a businessman. I'm going to run this like a business. Uh, I'm not. I'm gonna cut here and cut there, and everything's gonna be streamlined and everything. But quickly learned that that's just not how government works. Mm-hmm. That's never been the intention of government at any level. The government should be reflective of the of, of of the constituency, not a reflective of one person's ideology. And whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, to come in and say, "Oh, we're not gonna offer assistance." to children anymore we're not going to ex- ex- we're not going to extend assistance to you know mothers the way that we used to we're not going to you know daycare subsidies funding you know cultural institutions that are predominantly neighborhoods of people of, of where, where people of color live like these are all decisions that were made during that time and you know it it, it clearly didn't bode well because he only lasted one term and we and and now we see what chris collins became later in life right uh so it, you know it, the idea, the narrative that you know Democrats are reckless, or that we're spenders, or that we are, you know, all we do is raise taxes. Well, it's you know Mark Polancars has literally done the opposite of that, where it's you know property tax rate is lower than it's been probably in my lifetime. Uh, you know, there hasn't been crazy government spending on the county side. It's you know what Joel did was acquire properties. The county really hasn't done that. You know, it's invested in things that ideally should turn around high wage jobs. Like, you know, the the, the sort of reckless narrative that that Republicans have and Democrats just isn't true. Like, yeah. you know, I've there's there's it's you know when it comes to the county executives, ironically, it's the other way around. Where there's been reckless money management, it's been with Republicans. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I mean, I think like you know, I I've heard some people talking recently in my life about like. How like, oh, I don't trust government to do anything right. And I was like, well, part of the problem is like, you know, based on your age, for the last 40 years, we've just been cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting at government. And so, you know, like, you know, I've experienced working in government at, at elected offices and, you know, at social services. And, you know, you know, working in the private sector, you are way better funded for what you're doing and expected realistically, for the most part, much less of you than in the, in the government sector. You know, like, you know, it, it, like I worked for child protection. 
You know, like, you know, we, when you, you had Colin saying, well, we're going to run this like a business. Well, like if you budget, all right, well, we're, we're prepared to handle X amount of CPS cases. If you hit that number in, in August, you can't be like a a, gov- a a business and be like, I guess we just don't do CPS cases for the next four months. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, I guess like yeah, those yeah. kids will figure out themselves, which was kind of almost the way it was. Like, what, what ended up happening is that you had, you know, the at the you know the the recommended recommended number of cases that like a, a child protection worker or a foster care worker should have is like eight to ten at the national level. And you had people in the county by the time Collins left, the, the average CPS case was like caseload was like thirty to thirty five. You know, because like you know, they definitely needed more people, and they weren't bringing them on. And you're like, and it's also tougher in government. Like if you if you realize like partway through the year that you need more funding, especially at the county level, if you need more people, well, it, it's it's tough to amend the budget to add a whole bunch of new people in the middle of the year. Oh, once sure. you realize, like, it's, yeah, it's more difficult than it is in the private sector. And truth, the nature of government itself is not meant to generate wealth. Yeah, I mean that's what a business does. Like, it's meant to provide a service slash product mm-hmm. and generate. A profit. Right. But there are things perpetually in government that would never generate a profit. Example, we have parks. Parks never make money. Right. But you want to have parks. Yeah. Schools are necessary. They don't make money, but you need them. Right. And they cost millions of dollars to maintain. And as it, it is, you know, they're all necessary parts of, of our society. Well, so, John, what about what about football teams? <laughs> yeah. Do, do those make money? Because you know we've been putting a lot of money into those, and I mean I, they make money, right, Jim? I mean, nowadays they do. Not all, maybe not all of them, but most most of them do, right? Like, it's not we're, it's not the it's not the wild west of the NFL like the 1930s where teams just like close like partway through a game. Well, yeah. you know we could, we could invest in all that nerd stuff, John. We could parks, roads, yeah, infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. All right, all right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All chit chat. We're talking about football. Okay, we're talking <laughs> yeah. about. We're talking. Listen, everybody wants things to be run like a business until their beloved football team is actually run like a business, and then it's like, whoops, uh, didn't really, didn't not like that. Yeah, not not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know. Uh, of course, the state of New York has given uh, Terry Pagula a lot of money, a lot of money, yeah. a lot of money for his uh, for a stadium, uh, of which he is, you know, now saying, well, geez. I uh, was going to be under budget, but, uh, you know, some stuff happened. And, well, now we're going to be uh, millions over. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's been interesting, you know. Um, so last year, uh, yeah, well, the year before last, the budget before last, you know, w- the state approved this large sum of money to, to handle the Bill Stadium. And, you know, there are e- very easily, especially if you're not from this region, you can look at that and say, you know, why would we give that money to Buffalo? Why why should it go there? You know, what, there are people that look down on us and they'll say like, oh, you know, those people with their, you know, breaking of tables and excessive drinking or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they'll look down mm-hmm. on us like, yeah, I, I'd say, you know, I say that because some of my downstate colleagues were in fact like that uh, during those conversations. Uh, people that most of them, of course, have never been to Buffalo before, but for another day. And, you know, I think a lot about what's happened there and what's going to happen there. And, um, you know, I stand by th- that we needed to make this this investment to in a new stadium. But if you, if you stand back, it really goes into, you know, three options. You know, if, if you really look at it and just say, okay, we have this aging facility, we have an NFL team, this building ain't going to last much longer if we don't invest serious money into it. 
or you know, build a new building? And if you know, what does that mean for the team? So option A is to essentially say, well, let the building fall apart and let the NFL uh, NFL team go. So no more bills. That's option A. That would have been the you know, it is what it is. Let's not let's not invest any more money. It's it's not worth it. You know, who cares about the, you know, the team spirit and all that? Option two is to say, well, this building is the oldest one in the NFL. It needs a lot of work to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, without a doubt. Uh, we can fix it, but at the end of it, we'll still be sort of patchwork an old building and trying to make something new of it, or we can just build a new building. And although the price tag is up and I'm sure it's probably going to go up, you know, I'd say if you're not willing to make decision one to say like, oh, well, no, no more bills. This was the, the, the better decision to make, because the other way that people don't look at it is that, you know, the county and state own the current the county, state and bills own the current facility. And when a building is publicly owned, that means the government has a responsibility for its upkeep. You know, if you own this house, it's on you to make sure the roof is good, that it's not going to collapse on your neighbor's house, that it's in good shape. And it's not much different from from a public building, whether it's a school or, you know, the Rath building or right. City Hall or, you know, anything. Like, if you, if if government owns a piece of property, it's a, it has a responsibility to upkeep it. And although it seems like that's like a reach in the conversation of the stadium, it really isn't because at the end of the day, it's a liability where tens of thousands of people were going in it. And, you know, there was, I'm sure over the years, concerns around, you know, structurally how the building was going to, you know, last. And there's a reason why we don't build stadiums like that anymore, you know, for a lot of reasons, including like stability of structure. Uh, so yeah, we could have spent six, seven hundred million dollars on on fixing that up, but still only have what we have, and still wouldn't have been an ideal space, and still would have been based off a, a building that that we don't use, that aren't built that way anymore, or we just build a new one. And you know, I also say, and and you know, if we want to continue to punch above our weight class, we have to keep our professional sports teams. I mean, it's. Buffalo, for its size, has a lot of things that are unique that other cities mm-hmm. three times bigger don't have. The Albright Knox is a, is, is a museum, a world-class museum that cities across this country and truthfully in other countries wish they had. Mm-hmm. It's expensive to invest in it to make it last another generation, but you know what? If we want to punch above our weight class, mm-hmm. we need to invest in it. Same thing with, you know, in a way, our schools, in a way, with our architecture, with, you know, everything from shades mm-hmm. to the botanical garden to... You know our waterfront. If we want to continue to grow and 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 be our own thing, we're gonna to have to invest in it. And that's and that's you know same with the stadium. I'm not here saying that I'm the biggest Bills fan in the world. I'm not the biggest football fan in the world. But I think you know if if we're going to, uh, if, I think it's that guy who like like gets squirted with ketchup and mustard before every game. I think he, he's probably he might be the biggest Bills Bill. fan in the world. Yeah, and I've seen it, and he could keep it. Like, he, like <laughs> no, I'm not challenging him on that one. But you know we're we're you know at the end of the day, when I would tell people from other parts of the state, like, and they would come to me and say, you know, you know, that's so much money. Honestly, my response is that is going to be the biggest construction project in Western New York in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And as a person who studies, who has studied, like, you know, what we did after the, after the Great Depression to put people to work on public works projects, and that how that much how that's all tied into you know, 
the 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 beginning of what the middle class really was going to be and just putting people to work on everything from the Hoover Dam to ditches to parks like it's really you know if we want to bolster our middle class we have to look at the trades look at the unions look at good paying jobs and you know the stadium project is going to employ people for years mm-hmm. and yeah at the end of it we'll have a stadium and yeah there'll be concessions and da 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 but if you think about what this could do to construction companies, especially minority and women-owned construction companies that really haven't had a way to swing for the fences, like this is going to be a way to put people to work, to get people skills. By the end of this, we should have more construction companies, more you know uh, experts in these fields. Uh, and there's no other way we could have done that without a huge construction project. And if government had to front a lot of the construction project, then I think it's in a way worth it because we're walking away now with a more skilled workforce. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the other things is that, you know, like, I, you know, I know, like, you know, football, sports teams, you know, especially the stadium, like, they don't necessarily give you the return you're looking for. No. But one of the things I think about, like, from, like, a real standpoint that it's just, you know, whether you're an elected official or if you're just somebody who lives in the region, if you ignore the fact that it's a, it's a sports franchise, if you heard, hey, unless somebody steps in, steps in to help us, this organization that's based locally that's worth four billion dollars is going to leave. People would freak out. Oh, we yeah, don't yeah, have yeah. a lot of four billion dollar organizations that are in Buffalo. No, 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 not in this region. No, no. And, yeah. and, and look, say what you will about the NFL, and there's there's plenty to say. Mm-hmm. We could talk all day about that, but I mean, look, people don't watch television, but for the NFL, right? Like. People watch well, sports. Sports. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah. sports in general, but specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. the NFL. Yeah. I mean, look, the NFL is the biggest game in town. There, are, you know, our culture. We all have varying. You know, we watch our own TV shows on Netflix, yeah. Apple TV, Hulu, whatever. But it's it's the ritual, right? Like all of America will come and watch football. And so, if you look at it from that lens, like oh, yeah. football, having a, a football team in Buffalo gives Buffalo a legitimacy that really you can't match in any other way. I know. Again, like there's other cities in America that don't have football teams. You still know about Portland, Oregon. You know, you still do, oh, whatever. Yeah. But football in the NFL, specifically for a place like Buffalo, it does give us a lot of legitimacy that we might not otherwise have. Yeah. And were we to lose it, I mean, it would just be it would be a huge blow. Right. It would be a huge stain oh, on yeah. us, but, honestly. And and, and to, yeah. like just to like reiterate your point of like how big football is, like a monthly fee if you want to get the NFL red zone, right? Where like, you all you're limited to just like potential scoring plays cost roughly the same amount a month as Netflix where you have like literally millions of hours of entertainment. Yeah. yeah. The people pay for it. And people pay for it. People pay a ton of money for it when when you're like, you're limited to like, Hey, two, maybe three days a week, you might get a couple of hours entertainment out of this. Other than that, it's nothing. Yeah. And people are like, I will pay just as much where like something that has like if yeah. I if I did nothing, include sleep for the rest of my life, I could never watch everything that's on there. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, it it's it's something um that's sort of connected to our history too, mm-hmm. especially the history of our last like maybe forty years in, yeah. in Western New York. And and to sort of remove it from the equation would have been a tough, tough setback mm-hmm. uh, for the region. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're going to have a safer place for people to watch the game. We're going to have a more conducive space. We're going to have a space that's going to have more flexibility so that it's not solely used for concerts and football games. So, 
you know, we're I'm hopeful that it that it'll reap a benefit and and like I said that it that's going to put people to work and 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 it was going to be good wage construction jobs. Yeah. Well, n- next time you're here, we'll talk about public transit and, and getting people out to the games. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's wild. You drive down Abbott Road, and you just know it was never meant for this. Right, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, this narrow street with no sidewalk, it was never meant for this. But Right, and when you're yeah. driving down Abbott Road because the overages for the stadium, you'll see Terry Bagula out there with a sign that says, you know, can you help a fellow American who's down on his luck? <laughs> got a rough life thing. yeah anything will help right yeah it's, i spent all my money going to watch my daughter win in montreal <laughs> yeah i mean you know look new york uh was not gonna let the bills go and do, you know your colleagues downstate will grouse and you know grumble about it but they know right like that's yeah, why that, I mean, and, and at the end of the day like it's not as if we, they don't have something somewhat of the equivalent that i'll have to right. vote on in right. a couple Let's, years yeah. like madison square garden is gonna need some work right yeah, but yeah. Look, look, go to the stadium, throw Mom Donnie through a table, and like, let, let's see how it goes. <laughs> I'm going to get him for a game here one day. <laughs> I'm going to get him for a game here one day. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we get Eric Adams here, too, for a game, Jim. <laughs> you know, he's never been to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, we had a, yeah, but he's got to take the bus all the way up. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Wait, what's that? What's that mega bus? Like yeah. 20 bucks? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can take the mega bus up for a long ride. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, John, we got one last topic we want to cover real sure, quick, and we appreciate you spending so much time with us. Yeah, um, but we we you know we mentioned it, alluded to it earlier. This year is a county executive race. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know I don't want to talk to you about it. You know, twofold. Like you, know, you mentioned, you know, obviously you're a state assemblyman, you're a member of the state legislature, you're a currently elected official, but you worked for the county executive for a, a, sure. a, a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you're familiar, like. You know, I'm not I'm not going to expect you to be totally objective here. Like I know I know you've got some certain feelings <laughs> yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. You know, even if even if you don't know Christy Casilio at all, yeah, yeah, I know you like the other guy. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. you know, but you know, let, let's talk about like it is it. You know, it's going to be probably the the marquee race around here locally this year, just because it, the county executive is such a, an important race. Like you mentioned earlier about how the county executive, you know, across the state, each individual county is maybe the most difficult role. But like in this in a county like Erie. Um, you know, like some of the other upstate uh, counties where you have such a drastic divide between the urban area and, you know, like you know, obviously the, the difference between like Grant and Lafayette and say like fucking Sardinia is like a ama- like it's, it's like totally different world. Sure. Like yeah. it, it, you, you don't even feel like you're in the same state level in the same oh, county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, you know, talk to me a little bit about the, the county executive's race and how like, you know, because this year it seems a little more subdued, a little sleepier. You know, I know, you know, the, the, we've, we've talked about on the show a bunch of times. We know that the city, the county Republicans spent almost all their money trying to get Nick Langworthy, their former chairman, and at that time, state chairman of the Republican Party, elected to Congress, which is why I think, like, they're, they're using, like, they're, uh, they're trying to megaphone their terrible candidates saying this terrible stuff because while it might not win elections, it raises money. And they and they need more money in their coffers. You know, the county executive. Uh, I was there. You know, I worked from during his last two elections mm-hmm. uh, against Ray Walter and, and Lynn Dixon. And you know, one thing I could say about the county executive, and I've spent a lot of time with them. You know, there's not a harder worker, you know, that I know in elective office. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a person who every day 
multiple times a day is receiving reports from department heads, reports from agencies, um, meeting with commissioners, meeting with his budget department, meeting with his attorney's uh, department. I mean, like it, it, it it's a, it's a, it's a nonstop job. Mm-hmm. And that's a guy who, you know, when we went through that spell, uh, you know, a couple years back where we had that huge uptick in, in um, child protective service cases. Yes. That's a, that's a guy who wore it mm-hmm. in his, in his eyes and in his sleep and, you know, the toughness of that. And when we had, you know, when we hit our first peak in the opioid epidemic, that was a person who, um, you know, took it all in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an easy job because you're, you're reading about child's fatalities mm-hmm. and you're reading about, abuse of seniors and it's happening in you know in your your department is telling you what's what's going on across your county behind doors that people don't know about right well, i want i don't wonder if you but like you actually said the child child fatality thing which i think like probably nobody knows i, yeah. I had you know worked yeah. around in, in and around government and politics for a long time until i worked for social services yeah. when cps does a child fatality report the county executive has to read every single one of them yeah every single one yeah I mean, and you know, the, I I was with him in the in that bad November storm we had a few month a few years back, and again, th- there is a type of le- you know everyone has a type of leadership. Whether you run an office or run a, a Fortune five hundred company, you know it. And not every kind of leadership can fit every situation. The thing about this job is that it requires the flexibility of a leader to be on point in the middle of a snowstorm where decisions have to be made very quickly, but it also requires a kind of leadership that needs to be methodical Mm -hmm. to take on huge problems that are going to be multi-year problems like, you know, the fentanyl crisis. Mm -hmm. All the while managing a a, a policy agenda with the legislature when, when, and when I was there, it was a Republican led legislature. Mm -hmm. So that has its own contentions. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, uh, a district attorney that that's his own ship and you have right. a sheriff and that's his own ship and the control and a clerk and that they have their own thing. So, you know, it's, it's just a hard thing to do and it's a big budget mm-hmm. and it's a lot of money and it's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of, you know, things that are going on. So, you know, I say all that to say that any kind of executive has a tough job if they're, if they're doing it right. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this kind of executive is a person who is thoughtful and is, you know, present in what he's doing. And um, takes it seriously mm-hmm. and um, has a compassion and has a heart for it. Um, he dives full in in his work. And, uh, you know, not to say that the life of a state legislator like myself is is easy because I have my own challenges with it that, uh, that, that come with this job. But, you know, y- you don't have the option when you are a county, really when you're any executive, you don't have the option of only knowing things on the surface. You know, as a legislator, I have to know. A, I know I have to know a lot about. Uh, I have to know about a lot of things, but I'm constantly voting on bills, mm-hmm. right? If I'm voting on 20 bills today, I got to know something about them, and maybe there are things that affect my district. Maybe they have nothing to do with my district, but I have to know about them. But did, I don't have did, to. Did be anybody in... ever tell Mickey Kearns that when he was in the assembly? <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh God, man. <laughs> <laughs> our, our Next ten- question. Our, our tenure didn't overlap, so I don't have to answer that question. Uh, but, you know, it's not to say that my knowledge is superficial, but I, I, I have to know enough to vote on what I'm right. to go on what I'm voting on. 
the Kenny executive doesn't really have that. The the Kenny executive has to be masterful in what he or her or he or she needs to know about in order to make the decisions that they're making because those decisions can come at any moment and and it's nonstop. It's hey, we just ran out of salt. Yeah. But then it's also hey, you know, this senior program has gotten cut by the federal government. What are we gonna do? Right. Like it it's just everything. Right. So. You know, uh, nobody should take any uh, run for office lightly. Um, but when someone wants to pursue the office of county executive, they have to be far more prepared than than I have seen the crop of Republican candidates be prepared in the last few elections, and even the <laughs> the crop of Republican actual county executives. Yeah, I mean, it's, I I was like I've been around um, professionally uh, since the, the Giambra was county, so that, mm-hmm. and so I've worked in around like Giambra the Collins administration and the polling cards administrations. And you know, I think to me, I, I can tell a lot about a waste person's leadership uh, by who they surround themselves with and how those people respond to things and how they do the work. And the polling cards administration, you know, and I want to give full credit, like it has been the hardest working administration. Like every person that he, you can tell that he, like it, it's a management confidential position where that's, he hand selects. Much harder working than certainly the Collins administration, and for a large part, even the Giambra administration, where it, it was, and it's a hugely noticeable difference. As somebody who was, you know, I never worked on the 16th floor, but I often interacted with sure. people who were there, or you know, like, and I think of like you know, somebody who like sticks on my mind is you know Maria White moving up to like you know environment planning, and then to you know deputy county sure. executive, you know, one of the hardest working, most prepared people I've ever met in my entire life. Oh yeah. It's not even, yeah, yeah. I mean, the amount of hours that Maria put in, it was astonishing to me all the time. Her and, I mean, what you don't see in management often is that bosses stay as late as they as these two do. Maria and Mark would oftenly be, often be some of the last people that would leave mm-hmm. the wrath every day. Uh, and it's because there's just so much work to do. And Maria was another person that just dived right into her work and then really, you know, educated herself and as much as she could at all times because, you know, everything from a big part of her portfolio when she was deputy county executive was economic development things. Mm. And, and you know, you could look at that through a hundred different lenses. Mm. To some people, economic development means let's give tax breaks to businesses to come in here so that we can accept their crumbs. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at it through this much bigger lens and say, well, let's bring companies to this region because this region is you know can stand up and, and be on its own feet. Let's bring people here that are going to bring a certain kind of job, wage wise. Mm-hmm. That's going to have this kind of belief in this community. And if they don't, then they don't. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to chase the little things anymore. One thing that I have taken away from pre coming into government, which kind of like moved me into wanting to run for office, was I genuinely felt as though, as a region, we had become pretty okay with being a, an afterthought and and accepting what wasn't the best you know i look at the playground that i grew up as uh, going to as a kid that's not the best playground it's actually a pretty terrible playground it's not maintained to this day really all that well but if you go you know to other parts of even erie county or mm-hmm. or other parts of, of of the state you see things that are just better like mm-hmm. you know the quality of things that people as- associate the things that we have in Buffalo often are not the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason why that should be the case. There's no reason why we shouldn't put in our best effort to get the best thing that we can get here. And we shouldn't just accept crumbs. We shouldn't just accept mediocre things. Like we have to 
be done with that sort of way of thinking where we just sort of, well, it's Buffalo, so nobody else wants to come here, and all the weather weather is this, and all the you know the humdrum that has to end because we're never going to move forward if we don't push ourselves and push people that want to come here to be better. Mm-hmm. So I think Mark really believed that you know there was a standard that he wanted to to achieve in his administration and what he accomplished, and he was you know, consistent with it. And, and, and I think it's reaped benefits for, you know, the region. And, yeah. and, we sh- and, and not only should we accept mediocre things in our region, but we shouldn't accept mediocre candidates, quite frankly. I mean, right. look, credit to Chrissy Casilio running for any political elected office is obviously very difficult. And, you know, she would be the first woman county executive in your county. That, that is a something of note, of course. But to your point about Mark's leadership over the years, I mean, you know, you have to demonstrate that you can manage a lot of things. You have to be very cognizant of, I mean, a county is such a huge swath of land. Like like Erie County is just so many different cities, towns, different competing things going on. I mean, that's one of the, I remember, uh, you know, from when I worked for the ledge, we always talked about with uh, Jerry Sanic at TPW. It was that like the highway miles that Erie Mm -hmm. County has is more than like the state of Rhode Island has yeah. further miles. We have more. I'm pretty sure out of all the counties in New York State, we have the most county yeah, miles. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 by far. it was by far. Like, by like far. I said, they, it was it's actually more than in an entire state. Yeah, Rhode Island and, and Delaware. It, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah, because like, and that's because like in a lot of those towns that always complain, like, well, we pay taxes, we don't get anything because we don't get social services. First of all, you don't know what your neighbors are doing. Sure. But second of all, like. Like you know, the town of Alden owns like seven fucking roads, and everything else is a county road out there. Oh, I mean, well, I guess I, I can get on my soapbox and how we <laughs> subsidize Clarence as much as we do. Yeah, but you know, I, I would say we'll save the Clarence bashing for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, it, it, it's complicated, and why how the history of all that? But what, what I'd say is, you know, it, it's just another example how county government really touches every corner yeah. of this of, of this region. Like the government itself is 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 and you know touches everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like like I said, say what you will, and, and a lot of people say a lot about uh, Chairman Mark. Is we like to come around here, John? <laughs> we say it in, in jest and, and you know loving, of course, yeah. because it's it's frankly a caricature of what some of the yahoos around here will yeah. will will say without recognizing. You know, like you addressed that Mark Polonkars has made a lot of really tough decisions with ultimately the betterment of the county in mind. And I mean, not for nothing, you know, when they look back in the history of Mark Polonkar's county executive, like, well, there was a, yeah, a pandemic. The guy got us through here in the county. I understand there was a lot of federal and state involvement, but look, we had to manage that at the county level too. Right. Um, that was oh. paramount oh. and a blizzard, you know, that while other county executives in other parts of even this state, just put their head in the sand when COVID hit. Like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's not that much, you know, that just ended up being deniers. You know, we hit the ground running with needing to figure out what we can do for as many people as we can, as quickly as we can. You know, one of the last things I did before I left county government was I helped set up a a testing site on the east side, you know, because that was uh, Mm -hmm. pre-vaccine. But it, it just made me think, like, we don't have to. I mean, there's nothing that mandates that the county does this but we did this because we knew that the community needed it right. especially communities where there are uh hospital deserts where you know access to healthcare is like non-existent like in certain parts of the east side and in parts of rural erie county as well like you know there are so many things that we do that we did in the administration that were things that 
we weren't chartered mandated to do, but we did because we knew we had to, you know, um, the, you know, what we do around even parks, for example, nobody makes us fun parks, mm -hmm. we fun parks because we believe these are assets in the community that people want and they need and it's good space and people need. So, you know, you know, to your, to your point, like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a super challenging to, to, you know, have to have that almost burden of leadership, but, you know, it's 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 uh, it, it was wild to witness for sure, and and it's it was a lot of learning on my half on my behalf <laughs> to sort of see it all play out, and you know, I, I kind of joke about being, you know, I'm an elected official, I'm the son of elected official, I've worked for elected officials, so it's you know, I, I see it all in all different dimensions, and mm -hmm. I've seen the best, 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 and I've seen, you know. I've seen Andrew Cuomo and I've seen, you know, I, I've seen a, a lot of other things. That so the, so, so the best. <laughs> so the very best. Yeah. 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 So I've seen all kinds of things, but you know, um, at the end of the day, I, I hope that people make the, the, the best decision and to me, the, the clearest decision well, uh, in November. And, and, and look like, I mean, he rolls with the punches pretty darn well on social media, right? Like he, he, <laughs> yeah. I, I, honest yeah. to God, like, I mean, he, he handles it, uh, you know, pretty masterfully, I'd say, but, there's a real cost, a real toll to that. Like people just telling you you're, you know, yeah. again, like we joke out here sometimes Mark Hitler, but that's not so far from what people actually will call him or will say. And yeah. look, like these are human beings at the end of the day that are, even if it's a pulling car staffer, but it's probably just Mark himself a lot of times looking at it's totally Mark himself, you know, like to the chagrin of his staff sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so it's yeah, just yeah. like the mental. You know the psychic oh, toll yeah. that can that yeah. alone. Oh yeah, can I mean? Do I don't want to make light of it because it's not okay to ever like you know be a bully whether it's in person or online. But you know w when Mark and I are somewhere and and we post something together and, and we're tagged in each other's posts, like my average post gets you know not much traction because I don't know for whatever reason I I, I frankly don't think I'm all that exciting. But you need more memes, John. <laughs> that could be it. But you know when I'm together with Mark on a post, it's it's. It's, it's just wild yeah the uptick and not in kind words it's, no. it's usually <laughs> like you know the last one that i saw was like you know everyone hates you that's all it said right like stuff like that you're just thinking like wait what right like, what? we're no. like at a parade like oh thanks <laughs> right. buddy. Yeah, yeah. well and it's crazy because you know i like the i think the last point i want to make is like you know you know, look talk about like the blizzard last year yeah right he was maybe one of the most exhausted-looking people outside of Nixon in the '60 debate <laughs> on television I've ever seen. But I also like I still have friends. I know, like, yeah, he was worried. You know, he's talking to DPW and emergency services and that stuff. But he's also still in contact with the other departments throughout that, sure. and also like sleeping on like a fucking cot and eating like whatever Twinkies he could get. <laughs> like, like it's like yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. anybody who says like he doesn't care. Clearly wasn't paying attention during the yeah. blizzard. Oh, and, and, yeah. I mean, and and that's that's true of like every like storm and event we've had. I mean, and, and over his tenure, we've had many. Yeah. But you can always see like you want to criticize the guy about different stuff. I probably will disagree with policy you on, 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 on policy, or yeah, like whatever. Yeah, yeah. But like, don't tell me the guy isn't doing his damnedest and trying the hardest. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Or or that the alternative would be anywhere remotely close to his competent. Right. Oh, I mean, uh, I would. I don't want to take a jab at people that have lost elections in the past because you know they, they've already lost them. But you know, the, out of all of his opponents that he's had to date, I can't imagine any of them coming near the the not just the backbone, but the sort of the the, the execution of leadership the way that he has. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, that's what I said. Like, yeah. I've worked with 
prior county executives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I think like the, especially the people that you handpick, your management confidential people, your commissioners, yeah. are a, a strong reflection of who you are and what you value, your work system, not just your policy. Yeah. And, 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 and it's mm-hmm. night and day from what yeah. Collins and even Giambra. And my experience to that is it's because there's a, a, a an a an administration wide culture that begins with him. Mm-hmm. So you know, I can't. I didn't know all of Joel Giambra's uh, staff there before, or or Chris Collins, but I can't imagine that they put in the kind of hours that his team does now. But that's because he puts in those hours, right? And I don't think that they did. So it's you know, I did overnights at the at the emergency operations center yeah. when I was at DPW. Um, and they weren't fun, and yeah, those cots were uncomfortable, and there was no food, and you know, it is what it is. I'm not gonna complain about it because people had much worse during storms, but you know, I didn't bat an eye at doing that because I knew not only because it, it was necessary, but I also knew like, oh no, Mark does the same thing, right? And he's our leader in this administration, and you know, he sets the standard, and 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 that's 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 how it should be. I mean, we. It's been my experience now in this job with, you know, a staff of my own to say, like, you know, I can never ask of them anything that I wouldn't do myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, there are times where I'm there late and I would never ask them to be late if I'm not willing to. I wouldn't ask them to go to an event that I'm not willing to go to. I wouldn't ask them to make some statement that I wouldn't be willing to make. So it, it's, it's definitely been eye opening and it makes me think back of my time working for Mark and say, like, OK, the reason that we all clicked is because we saw him working so hard. Yeah, for sure. All right. And John, you're, you're working hard too. And, uh, yeah, you know, give, give your, give yourself some credit. The fine people <laughs> of your district certainly do. And, uh, if you want to see the work that John uh, is doing at the state level, John, where can you be found on the internet? Sure. I mean, you can find me on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and, and obviously I have my government uh, website and we're always trying to get out and about. So, you know, I have two offices now, one in the village of Hamburg, one in on Grand Street on the West side. And, always a phone call away an email away all right and and you know and and we're going to leave this conversation here and and you are going to go back to albany and let them know (laughs) that we are going to ban the sales of pumpkin spice lattes (laughs) until until at least september like come on man like like after labor day at least come on like like if if the kids aren't in school full time yeah yeah i don't want to see pumpkin spice lattes sorry yeah it started like the first week of august it's still like 90 out right (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. no i mean yeah I, i agree so well john you know you know, I wish you luck in your your new position as an Amazon advocate. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you're always welcome here. Uh, we'll we'll have to get out and maybe try some of the new restaurants in your in your uh, district. Oh, come on get to get, by. Yeah. yeah, Southern yeah. Junction. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. just there. Sabores. That's my place that See, I go to the it. most. I, I go I go there all the time. Yeah, I, I I randomly found them on like DoorDash one time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think they're on anymore, but I was like, well, I, I'm just going to keep going to this place for the rest of my life, yeah. I guess. I, I took Speaker Hasty there. Oh, did you? He was in town. Yeah, nice. he loved it. Yeah. Yeah, that's my go-to now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I go there probably like every six weeks. <laughs> nice. All right. Thanks again, John. Have a good one, man. With Let's Go Pills, I wanted to make a beer that was similar to the beers I grew up drinking in in the tailgate. 
and I wanted a clear American lager that was crisp and, and just really sharp. It, it takes the classic American lager and, and we, we showcase craft ingredients made by locals, made by fans, uh, to be shared by fans. Bring community to all that you do and good things happen.